Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, we're going to be starting our book series on the book of Galatians. <laughs> I don't know whether that's um, fandom for Galatians. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> but we can't start in chapter 5. But that's where we're going. <laughs> so we're starting this, uh, this book series in Galatians. So I want to encourage you. Part of my week was recording audio of uh, the book of Galatians. So if you haven't had enough of listening to my voice on a Sunday, you can listen to my voice reading you Galatians. I recorded it in seven different versions, and I'm going to be uh, putting it up either this afternoon or, uh, or tomorrow sometime on our website. Who knows our website? Okay, awesome. <laughs> There's a series of buttons uh, at the bottom of the at the bottom of the main screen when you go in on your, on your PC, certainly. One of them says, digging deeper. And that is where I'm going to be putting the audio. So if you prefer to listen, if you can concentrate with all the crazies around you in your car on your way to work, and that's a better way for you to get Galatians into you, I encourage you to do that. So like I said, part of my... Uh, Part of my preparation for this was reading Galatians. What an incredible, incredible opportunity for me. And I've picked seven versions, all of which I like, uh, which are mostly the most common versions. So the old NIV, the new NIV, the New Living Translation, the ESV, the New King James, uh, what else did I do? I did something called the Lexham English Bible, which is something that I really enjoy at the moment. And who knows what else I did. The passion, oh yes. I felt very passionate about it. So I encourage you, read Galatians, listen to Galatians. It's helpful reading those different versions because it gives you slightly different perspective. And I was blown away as I read it how good our English translations are. There are some, some points, and I mean, I have read Galatians a few times before, probably close to 100, and even reading it again, it's like, yo, the CSB did such a good job of that passage. The NLT really did a fabulous job of almost every passage. This was good, that, ah, oh, just fresh revelation. It really helped me to live myself into Galatians. And that's a good thing, because it gives us that perspective of what was going on. So this morning, I want to answer some of those questions, because I've spent quite a lot of time working into Galatians, but maybe you haven't read it for a while. The irony is, this week in my personal devotional schedule, I also read Galatians. So I read it in yet another version. So first of all, who were these Galatians? Maybe you're not like me and you don't like to ask such silly questions. It's a book in the Bible. Don't be silly. They were people. 
They were Galatians. We read about how Paul first met them in Acts 13, verse 14 onwards. Um, can I have the next one, which is my famous map? I've done so well at not overusing too many maps. But uh, if you know your geography at all, this is the northeastern section of the Mediterranean. On the far right, on the far east, is Israel. On, in the middle is modern-day Turkey, which in the days of Jesus was split up into quite a few different Roman provinces. And right there in the middle, not at the bottom, but just above it and swinging up and over to the left, you will see an area called Galatia. So the Galatians were people who lived in the Roman province of Galatia. And this was the first place that Paul, with Barnabas, obeyed the apostolic call to go to preach the gospel and to establish churches. This was also the, the first place that he had challenges. But can you see where it is? So if you've been watching the news and you saw the, the news of the floods in Turkey, that is in, on the right-hand side of where it says Cilicia. Can you see that in purple? if your glasses aren't as good as mine. So that on the right-hand side there is where those terrible floods have been. And just over Cilicia into uh, northern uh, Syria there is where the earthquake was a month ago. Just to kind of put things in perspective. But this is where, this, this bottom part of the green Galatian area is where Paul went. And the funny lines are the various journeys that he took both in the first, what's called the first missionary journey, his first trip out when he went out with Barnabas, and the second one when he went out on his own. So who were the Galatians? They were those people who lived in Galatia, those people who Paul had met, many of whom he had been responsible for leading to Jesus himself. They were people he knew. They were people he loved. They were, in a very real sense, the first fruits of his apostolic ministry. They were the evidence that God had called him to this thing. So some of the cities that we read about in that section are Pisidian Antioch. Just remembering that there's another Antioch somewhere over there in Syria as well. So this was Pisidian Antioch. Another Antioch. In and if you've wondered about, how do they repeat some of these names? Antioch was a family name, or Antiochus, was a family name of the Greek general, one of Alexander the Great's generals, to whom his empire was split up. And he took the area that we normally call Syria. It's an enormous area that he ruled, but it includes this whole area. So there were many cities that were named after him and his descendants, of whom there were quite a few. So there are various cities called Antioch after this Antioch family, Antiochus family. So there's Pisidian Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, and Derbe are the, the four main cities of Galatia that are mentioned that Paul and Barnabas certainly visited on their first trip into Galatia, modern Turkey. 
When did Paul write that? Well, we think probably this was the first letter that we still have of his that he wrote. So it was written pretty early. But as we go, as we going through Galatians, he gives us quite a lot of insight about his history that isn't written in the book of Acts. So when did he write? Probably in or around when, um, when the letter, because we'll see when we get there, uh, that one of the big issues amongst the Galatians was what the church in Jerusalem in Acts 15 addressed about what, what does it mean for non-Jews to receive Jesus as Messiah? And this is the first time it comes up. And this is the challenge that Paul is addressing, or one of the main challenges that Paul is addressing in this letter that he writes to the Galatians. So when was it written? Probably around the year AD 50. Why? Because we think that somewhere around AD 50, 51, 52 is when Acts 15 happened. When that, the Jerusalem uh, get-together happened, the letter was written saying, this is what we believe, and it's now, we're now all in agreement about it. If only that was the end of the story. So early, some Paul's letters, why isn't it the first in the New Testament? So what's the first of Paul's letters that we read of as we read through our New Testament? The book of Romans. So why do you think it is that Galatians isn't first and Romans is there? What's after Romans? Corinthians. Just think about the length of these letters. They get shorter and shorter and they end with Philemon, which is one chapter. So when our New Testament was collated, when it was put together and organized, they weren't thinking about uh, what order were these written in. Uh, they didn't organize them geographically. They organized them the way that at that time the Old Testament was organized, and that is from longest to shortest. So when you read Romans, when you read Romans, yes, when, read Romans. When you read Paul's letters, just remember that they're not in any other order except longest to shortest. So having talked a little bit about uh, this letter to the Galatians, why are we looking at Galatians right now in the light of what God has given us to be focusing on for this year in living it up? If you've read Galatians before, which I'm sure all of you have, then there's nothing much in there about living it up. Or is there? After all, the Galatians received Jesus enthusiastically. I mean, that's the, that's the whole witness of Acts 13, 42 to 44, is that they received the, the good news of Jesus with joy and excitement. And later on in Galatians, Paul's going to talk about how radical they were in, in being excited about this good news. They were so radical that they were happy to pull out their own eyes, which seems like a little bit over the top. But that was the point. He was trying to say, you were, you were so overtaken by the goodness of the good news that 
You were even prepared to do yourself in because of your joy for it. And of course, he contrasts that with, well, if that's true, then what's stopped you from continuing that way? What stopped you from continuing to be passionate and enjoyable? Enjoyable and enjoying. There's a, there's a lesson for us in there. I don't know if you, uh, I don't know if when you came to know Jesus. For me, it was an utterly radical, life-changing experience. And it did literally radically change my life. I was one of those people who had uh, people who knew me coming up to me and saying, what has happened to you? You are so different. It's not everybody's testimony, and that's, that's fine. It's not super spiritual. But I recognize that over the years, some of that radical excitement, some of that radical enthusiasm, some of that radical joy, some of that living it up has kind of been lost a bit. Now, I'm pretty certain that there's a good portion of us who can relate to that. I know some of you are absolutely cruising right now, but most of us are taking a bit of strain. Most of us are feeling like, man, I could do with a good uh, injection of vitamin spiritual vitamin B at the moment, just to push me through everything that I feel like I'm being swamped by. Galatians addresses this. Paul, who seems to be quite hard and wants to just slap them around a bit repeatedly, is actually saying, how can you be so doff? To not remember that the way you started is the way you need to finish. You started by faith in Jesus. You weren't under any illusions then. Where did the illusions come now that it's fine to do it on your own? To now, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now I'll get on with my life. No, he wants to be Savior and Lord. And in fact, it is impossible to receive him as just Savior. He can only be Savior and Lord. Of course, if we're not living under his lordship, there isn't much reality to calling him Lord, though we still do. We're pretty good at that. But moving on from there, the Galatians knew what it was to have an incredibly enthusiastic, exciting, dramatic, and dynamic experience of a life of faith. And they also knew what it was to be have been confused, to have been um, by the realities of life and especially for the Galatians, other people confusing them about what was important in terms of their faith. And so I believe it's a really relevant and important book for us to look at because most of us are in a similar kind of place. I promise when we get to chapter 3, I am not going to say to you, oh foolish venture churchians, because that would be at me as well. But the point that Paul is making there is very real and very relevant to us, because he wants them to be living it up. He wants them to be still enjoying the joy to an even greater depth 
of their salvation than they experienced at first. I was, uh, when Mike and I were away uh, two weeks ago, he was telling the story of uh, what it's like being the only believer in a family. And he was saying that I think your dad said to you, oh, don't worry, you'll grow out of it. And, or words to that effect. And I've heard a number of testimonies like that recently. Oh, don't, don't worry, it's fine, you'll get over it. It's just a, you're just over-enthusiastic at the moment. And if we allow that truth to rule, if we allow that word to become a truth to us, then that is what, what, what will happen. Our enthusiasm will go. But it doesn't have to because that's not God's will for us. So why did Paul write this letter? to the Galatians. That's why we're looking at it. That's why I want us to spend some time with it. Why did Paul write this letter? So despite the fact that he quickly rushes in to confronting them and their behavior, which he does in chapter 1, verse 6, and quite unusually, he's normally quite nice to those he's writing to first and then comes in with the subtle uppercut later. He... He plows straight into them in verse 6, which is, like I said, very uncharacteristic. Again, it is his passion for their freedom as we're going to, uh, as we're going to read about as we go through it. So what was happening in Galatia? When Paul and Barnabas left, other people arrived. And they were, like Paul, Jewish. And they said, Wonderful. Paul did a good job of starting to tell you about the good news. Now, we want to tell you all the rest of the good news about Moses. So what they were doing was they were effectively saying to these Galatians who had already received Jesus, no, you need to come back and you need to become Jewish first before you can become Christian. Because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And when Paul addresses the Galatians, he says in very clear terms, it's a lie. You receive Jesus directly. You don't have to go through anything. We even through the Old Testament revelation. You come to Jesus directly. And there were consequences in their lives for listening to these stories. So why, why, if they were being deceived, was Paul so hard on them? Because he had equipped them in the Scriptures to be able to see Jesus everywhere. But because he's not with them, he's now sending them a letter. And in this short letter, six chapters, take about 20 minutes to read. If you're listening to me, maybe a bit longer. In this letter, he's saying it's Jesus only, and Jesus only is the way to live it up. So I'm not going to belabor much, but I do want to read the first five verses, because I've called this morning's uh, message, Welcome Galatians. So it's not just welcome to Galatians, 
But it's us entering into the story of the Galatians. So welcome, Galatians. Galatians 5, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you ever read these uh, introductions and they are uh, greetings, they, they have... They, they look quite similar. Why? Because that's how they wrote letters. But if you read them, Paul makes sure that he says what is actually a very profound set of things. But unlike the rest of the letters, he doesn't work them out. He just states them. And he lets one thing roll into the next thing, into the next thing, into the next thing. And he starts off, Paul, I'm here. It's me. Nobody else. An apostle, he states who he has been called to be. And then he makes it very explicit. It's not his idea. He didn't call himself. He didn't think this up. He didn't, he didn't get on, on board with the latest trend in Judaism and decide to call himself an apostle. So he's not an apostle from men. Nobody else commissioned him. And it wasn't anybody else's idea. That's what not from men or by man means. He's talking about his apostleship, his apostolic calling. Rather, that calling came from Jesus Christ and God the Father, and he adds in here, who raised Jesus from the dead. So it's a fully divine calling. What does the word calling mean? We love to throw it around. It is the same word as vocation. Vocation is just Latin. Calling is English. So if it's a calling, then it is a calling by someone into something. Paul is telling us what, who has done the calling. It wasn't his idea. It wasn't somebody else's idea. It was God's idea to call him an apostle. And it was not just any God, but the God who raised Jesus from the dead, the powerful God. So there is an expectation implied in there of the power of God being demonstrated in Paul's apostleship. He he isn't called. And he's making a big thing of this because this is a big, this is a big thing. We like to uh, name and label ourselves to give us a sense of importance. Paul starts this letter by saying, I'm just Paul, but God has called me to be an apostle. And I embrace that calling by God. I don't excuse it. I don't apologize for it. I don't explain it away. I embrace it fully, but I recognize it for what 
it is. There are, there's a big move in the modern church towards calling yourself apostle or pastor or priest or prophet or whatever. I mean, there are lots of labels that the scripture has. But there is a move in the church today for people to label themselves with these things. Paul is saying, I don't do that. This label God has put on me. But this label I fully embrace. So it's not what we say about ourselves that counts. You know what? This is part of human nature. It's not, in the negative sense, the flesh, as Paul calls it. It's not something new. You read about it in 2 Corinthians 11.5, Paul talking about the super apostles. And he is definitely being sarcastic. Just in case you missed that, he's being sarcastic. There was nothing super about these apostles. So it is a tendency of us to try and promote ourselves. And one of the key ways we do that is by giving us labels. So we have roles within, we have calling within the life of the church in following and obeying Jesus. I have the privilege of pastoring this church. But to call me Pastor Francis is dangerous for this exact reason. I do not deny it. (laughs) Why? Because it is God's calling. But as soon as you start using my function before God as a label to try and honor me, you are detracting or taking the focus away from God and putting it on me. So do I own it? Yes, just as Paul owned it. But nobody called Apostle Paul. Dial 0800 Apostle Paul. There was, he utterly rejected that. Can I tell you one other very important person in the scripture that we slip up on that? And that is Jesus Christ. For most of us, we think Christ was his surname. That, that, is a, that is a predominant reality for most Christians alive today. They believe that Christ was Jesus' surname. It gets a bit confusing when he's sometimes referred to as Christ Jesus and other times as Jesus Christ. Christ was his vocation, his calling. The Hebrew, that's the Greek word, Christ. The Hebrew word was Messiah. It means anointed one, and it refers to a king. So Jesus of Nazareth is probably the better way of putting it. Surnames weren't necessarily a big thing there. But saying Jesus of Nazareth, that probably narrowed it down quite a bit. Jesus of Jerusalem, you'd probably have had to uh, say a little bit more. That's why there are also a lot of people called Simon, son of Jonah, to differentiate him from Simon Iscariot, Simon, son of Iscariot. So, to, to come back, Paul was called by God to be an apostle. 
What has he called you to be? This is a, something that we as Christians really, really have battled with. Most of us, many, many questions that I've heard over, I don't know, over quite a, a long period of time is, I don't know what I'm called to. I, I don't know what, what, I'm, what Jesus wants of me. Well, can I be really, really frank with you? If that's you, the greatest likelihood is because you haven't actually spent the time asking God. I wish I could uh, kind of soften it up a bit, but I, I don't do you any favors if I do that. We do ask, but we don't wait and we don't persevere. You know, sometimes, for those of you who are parents, when your kid comes and asks you something, but before, as you start answering, they're asking you the next question, and as you start to try, they're asking the next question. What do you do? You wait until they've got it all out. And then you say, okay, so what is it you really want to know? <laughs> okay, it's not happened to you. Okay, that's fine. I encourage questions, so I got lots of them. And uh, so what do you do? Well, the Lord also waits to see if we're actually serious enough to hear his answer to us. But I'm going to be very practical and give you a quick checklist anyway. How do you identify what is your calling? What is it the Lord is, by his voice, speaking, has spoken, and has gifted you to be? First question is, what do you love doing? Just to put this in context, we think of what is my gifting, what is my calling in an exclusively church context? Well, for, can I say, at least 80% of us, probably more like 95% of us, our primary calling and gifting is outside of the local church. It doesn't mean it's second rate. It doesn't mean it's... God called you through an intimate, it's the same God, same calling, just your calling is to make a difference in the world. So what do you love doing? It's going to be difficult to answer that if you're already shrinking your, your, the scope of how to answer. And I believe that's a major part of why some of us battle to answer this question. Because we say, oh, I need to give a spiritual answer to this spiritual... There's no such distinction. God is Lord of all. Of your spiritual life, your natural life, your sex life, your all life. God is Lord of all. What are you gifted? What do you love doing? If you can't answer it honestly, it's going to be real difficult to hear the Lord's voice. So the question, first question is, what do you love doing? Second question is, where is the blessing in your life? When you do something, where is the fruit? Where is the blessing? Where do you sense the hand of God and you see the hand of God at work? Meaning that others are positively impacted. So what do you love doing? Where is the blessing in what you do? How do others see you? Now, this is one of those dangerous ones because this is definitely a confirmation. If you love doing X, 
And you see blessing and fruit in that area of your life. Every time you do it, and you, get, you just can't help getting other people involved in it. And they recognize that this is an area of blessing. That is a confirmation. Sometimes when we're trying to help you, we only have limited information. And we can easily give a uh, skewed, a warped view of what God is doing and who he's called you to be. And then ask your spiritual leadership. Ask your connect group leader, where do you, what do you think my gift is? Where do, you, where do you see God blessing me? Ask a deacon. Ask one of the other leaders. Where do you see the area of God's blessing in my life? And if you don't like what they say, take it to Jesus. I mean that seriously, do take it to Jesus. Because if you hate it, then somewhere, somewhere along the line, somebody's blown it. So that's four practical, um, practical things you can use to try and identify your calling. But there's also the issue of seasons and timings. There are seasons in our life when we are flowing in fullness in our gifting, whether you are called to be a preacher or an engineer. You are in the sweet spot. You are loving it. You are making such an enormous... But there are other seasons when you may not be. When you are in a season of what has often been called obscurity, where nobody is seeing the fruit of your calling. So there are and can be times when we are not flowing in the manifestation of our calling, to put it like that. The greatest challenge in those times is to get, I don't want to say lazy, is to get disheartened and to, ex, to believe that this is now the norm, this is how it is from now on, God's written me off, and it's really hard, especially if you have known the blessing and the presence of God, when you go into a season of obscurity, to you recognize that your identity started getting wrapped up in this gift that God had given you and in maybe being called pastor or prophet or whatever. I think it's one of the reasons why God does sometimes lead us into these seasons to test us to see if we will trust him. This is a scripture that I love and absolutely hate in 1 Timothy 6, 6, which says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Remember the first time I started meditating on that, I very quickly realized there is a godliness without contentment that brings great frustration. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. When there is a season where we're not being recognized by others, because it's usually others we look to and not the Lord, part of our problem, we battle in ourselves. It's a godliness, but there's no contentment there. How do we find godliness with contentment? We serve in our vocation as to an audience of one. Who is that? The Lord himself. This is what Paul had understood. Paul, that's who I am. 
but God has called me an apostle. And so I own that. More than that, and he's going to say this later on in Galatians, you Galatians are the first fruits of that apostolic calling. So don't come and tell me stories because you yourselves are the witness of God's calling in my life. And then there's this issue of timing. We very often want God to do it and do it now. And sometimes God sees the bigger picture. No, sometimes we recognize that God sees the bigger picture and he makes us wait. Sometimes it is right now. If our sense of calling is in ourselves and others' approval, then we will become frustrated quickly. If we have learned to serve as to an audience of one, then we will go to him quickly. And even if he tells us, my grace is sufficient for you. And thank you, Sean, for your testimony earlier. That was for your vulnerability. I, I know how much, how difficult this has been. But if we submit, as, as Sean did, and I know that he had to struggle with that for a while, but if we submit to the Lord, he is able to bring peace and bring great good. And we trust his timing. And that at the right time, God is able to release us into the fullness. So why have, why have I focused on this thing of, of uh, Paul's apostolic calling? Because to truly live it up, we have to know and embrace our calling. You can never be happy in Jesus when you're always second-guessing what it is that he has for you. You can never stand strong in the will of God so that when opposition comes, and there's lots of opposition in our lives at the moment. How do we stand strong if we don't know who we are before God, who he's called us to be? He's called us all to be sons of God. Yes. But if you are playing, sorry, because I can't think beyond rugby. If I try and give you an illustration from soccer, I will embarrass you and me. But if you, are, if you are, have the build of a scrum half and you try to play as a prop or a lock, you're going to be hurt. Are you part of the team? Absolutely. Are you a son of God? Absolutely. But if you don't know where you should be playing, you're going to be hurt. And you're never going to fulfill your purpose. And to, you're never going to fulfill that calling. So to live it up as God wants us to, we have to know who God has called us to be. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us if we can respond to God. Respond to this challenge that he's given us so that we can position ourselves to be living it up which is his intention, his purpose, his plan for us. Oh, if he's purposed it, then how can we miss it? By not knowing who we are and who he's called us to be. So can I ask you to stand? Get some blood circulating through your legs.
Not walking in your calling prevents you from living it up. I actually have no idea how to facilitate this. So I'm going to ask the Lord, and we're going to trust, trust Him to lead us in the way that He wants to, because He wants to bring us into the glorious freedom that we're going to read in chapter 5 of Galatians. Not just because He wants us to have fun and be free, though He does, but so that we can live in this reality of living it up. So can I ask you to close your eyes so that we can do business with the Lord together? Lord Jesus, you who called Paul, you who called him to be an apostle, Father, who endorsed him, your scriptures tells us that you speak those same words of calling over us too. We're not just called to be cannon fodder or part of the scenery. We are called by you into specific things. Lord, we want to play in our position. We want to run in our lane, as Paul said elsewhere. We want to serve as unto you. Why? Because we want to give you glory and honor, and we want what you are saying you want to give us, that life of living it up, looking to Jesus, and finding the joy of our salvation over and over and over and over again. We want to be effective in our prayers. We want to be effective in facing the challenges of life. And Lord, you know you've allowed us to face many right now. We want to stand firm and strong, knowing who we are as sons of God, called to be. Lord, I guess there's a couple of things that, that we really desperately need you to help us with. First of all, we need you to help us with perseverance in prayer to intentionally take the time out to seek you and to not give up until we've heard from you. Lord, first of all, grant us that heart, that attitude. I just have a sense that the Lord is, is saying to some of us, give me 15 extra minutes in the morning. Set your alarm back 15 extra minutes so you can spend that time in the Scripture, in prayer, in singing, in my presence. If that's you, just say, yes, Lord. Then ask, how? Make that decision. Lord, May we also not be so humble that we say, ah, oh, I'm just Francis, but embrace your calling. Not allow ourselves to be identified by it, but the one who calls. Because, Lord, we want to live it up. We want to walk in obedience to you. We want to 
actually, some of this, Lord, kind of feels selfish because we do. We want to enjoy you in the land of the living, in your creation. But we can have confidence, Lord, because that's what you've told us that you want for us too. So won't you, won't you do that in us as we reposition ourselves? Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website, www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.